Janice Levenhagen Seeley is the founder of Chick Tech, a nonprofit focused on getting and keeping women in tech. Janice, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. What is Chick Tech? So, Chick Tech, as you said, uh, our mission is basically to get and keep girls and women in high tech. We're a uh, 501c3, uh, we're a national nonprofit, uh, we're based here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, we have six different chapters, almost eight, <laughs> throughout the country. Uh, we focus on high school girls, finding girls who aren't yet engaged in technology, uh, but who have the aptitude to do well in them, and uh, convincing them that technology and creating it is awesome. And we do a career-level program around, it's more the other side of recruiting women into technology and keeping them there once they're there. Uh, we run an awesome uh, conference called ACTW, uh, Advancing the Careers of Technical Women. So why did you start Chick Tech? So I started Chick Tech to provide women and girls the support that I didn't have when I was in technology uh, and to increase their confidence that they do belong in technology because I felt like I was an outsider and I felt like I wasn't good enough when in reality I believe the tech industry would have been much better with me and others like me who chose to leave. Why did you feel like an outsider? I think there's a couple different reasons. Um, one is I had imposter syndrome, so I never felt like I was as good as everyone else. Can you define imposter syndrome? Yeah, so basically imposter syndrome is the feeling that no matter how good you actually are, no matter how many accolades you get, you feel like you're just fooling everyone else. So everybody else looks at you and they're like, wow, that person's really awesome. And you're like, wow, I got away with it again. And so usually it's pretty high performers that have this. It's really just a, um, a difference between how you feel and reality. And I, I've seen this imposter syndrome uh, kind of run rampant in the tech community. Sheryl Sandberg also wrote about it a lot in Lean In. Why is imposter syndrome so rampant in the tech world? I think it exists for men and women, by the way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they say like 70% of people in general will deal with imposter syndrome. Oh, wow. In or out of tech? Yeah, at some point in time in their careers or lives. So I think that a big reason is because our stereotype of who works in technology is really, really strong. Uh, we have a very, when we think of a technical person, we see very clearly exactly who that is in our head, right? Um, and if you don't fit that stereotype, that's working against you. Um, and in other areas, it may not be quite so strong or we've started breaking it down. But I think, I think that in tech, we're still just starting to work on that stereotype. So you started working in tech and you felt like an outsider immediately or did it take a while for that to happen? Maybe you could give me some more about your background and how that outsider feeling evolved. So I graduated uh, high school in 2001 um, and I had never created anything in technology before. I got all the awards in math in my school but nobody had really strongly pushed me towards technology or engineering and I I remember when I first started my programming class, um, after I graduated, I started summer class uh, at OSU. And I remember not even having the context to understand what programming was or what it would be used for. Like, I didn't understand that people had to create something in order for the internet to be there. You know what I mean? Like, nobody had taught me that. And when you start out 
that far behind in terms of concepts. Even when I when I chose computer engineering, I I didn't even know enough to know that women didn't usually choose computer engineering because right, computer engineering is a cross between you know electrical engineering and computer science, so it's hardware um, and software, and women just hardly ever go into to hardware. So I go in and there's all these people who, there's a lot of like people who go into tech and think that they know a lot and are really, really cocky, even though they don't really know much more than you. But I didn't know that they didn't know a lot more than me. I thought they were like knew everything and I knew I knew nothing. And so I just consistently felt like everyone else wasn't struggling or everyone else um, knew all of all these things that I didn't know. And it wasn't until my junior or senior year that a teacher actually took me aside. And he's like, you know, all these guys that act like they know all these answers and aren't are willing to like totally raise their hand and ask questions and answer questions in class. They're getting C's and you're getting an A. And that like blew my mind. Uh, I had no idea. I mean, I knew I was getting an A, but I still didn't feel confident in the material. And to me, that meant that I wasn't as good. Did that interaction with the teacher change your internal perception of yourself? It started. The problem was, was that, um, so I actually took five years to go through engineering because I studied abroad for a year uh, in the middle. And so that was, you know, I'd already been in classes for four years, you know, three of them in technology, and it had really been, you know, pounded into me that I was different and I was more outgoing. And so people would act like I was a nuisance when I tried to talk with them about anything other than like the current assignment or whatever, you know, and it's not necessarily everybody, right? I mean, there are some differences in personalities that are okay. It's just like even in at work, you know, I really like creating relationships and uh, I felt like an outsider or I felt like a nuisance uh, when I did my internships. Um, Because I just, I need that people connection and they did not. You know, I think the stereotype of the introverted programmer is extremely toxic. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not really accurate, actually, in my opinion. Like, I I find that the most successful and uh, enjoyable to work with programmers actually seem to have a little more of a social flair to them Mm -hmm. than, than maybe uh, is the average yeah, definitely. I think that there's, I mean, there's so many personalities that I think are really great in technology. And that's why I'm excited about working to break down that stereotype, especially for high school girls. Let's talk more about that. How did your background lead to you starting an organization? Maybe you could give a, a little more of the uh, stretch between from when you were in college to your early career. After I graduated, um I kind of half-heartedly applied for some jobs, um, and uh, my significant other and I had decided to have a child, and when I was interviewing, I was pregnant, and I was discriminated against by two fairly prominent um, technology companies uh, based on my pregnancy, Um, and that was kind of the last straw. You know, I mean, I'd already had issues with um, sexual harassment um, and discrimination in the tech industry. Um, And just the fact that I was interviewed by two women, one at each of these companies, and one very blatantly told me that um, my maternity leave would be inconvenient for her team, and so she was hiring someone else. 
uh, I just decided it wasn't worth it. And so I ended up deciding to get my MBA and focus on sustainability instead. Um, and so I ended up doing my MBA. I worked for nine months for the worst company ever. And <laughs> <laughs> feel free to like picture those words capitalized because I capitalize them like they're an actual title. I think I've worked for five of those companies. <laughs> right. Uh, someday I hope to, uh, like, this is like one of my little secondary plans. I'd like to make them a plaque and send it to them because they were so terrible. Anyway, so uh, after that, um, and that's kind of when I realized how rampant sexual harassment, discrimination, and retaliation are in companies still, I ended up deciding to work for myself for a little bit because that seemed safer and less angering. And I did some business consulting for a while, um, not, not too long. Um, and then I ended up uh, volunteering for another program here in Portland around getting uh, kids into tech. And I came out of that program with a lot of ideas on how to make an even better experience. And as I started talking about my ideas with other people, because this has already been I'm always, I've always been really passionate about sticking up for other people, and especially if I've dealt with something shitty, helping to make sure that other people don't have to deal with that is just something I'm really passionate about. And so this like sparked that again. It reminded me of the experience that I had had and the fact that I could make a difference. Uh, so I took those ideas after talking with a bunch of people, and I created Chick Tech. Why aren't there more women in tech? I think that there are so many reasons for that. Part of it is the somewhat toxic and stereotyped environment. Uh, I think that women have traditionally been taught to use technology and not create it. I think that girls look at it and they have so much pressure to conform and focus on their looks and how they're perceived in uh, terms of how boys will like them, that they, uh, they aren't encouraged enough to work on something like technology that is perceived as to be a harder career than some others, right? And so they have lower self-confidence. We've seen studies that show how much, like the huge drop in confidence that girls get as uh, teenagers um, that's much higher than the drop that boys are seeing. And I think that without that encouragement and without really positive um, figures in their lives, they just don't believe they can do it or they're told they just don't have the brain for it. You know, like their brain doesn't work the right way. Maybe they're too social or whatever. I mean, I had somebody, um, I had a woman in technology here tell me that she didn't believe that women belonged in technology because all most women care about is fashion and men. And uh, that was crazy. <laughs> also, you can care about technology and care about fashion and, you know, love interests or however you want to look at it, right? Do you know any statistics offhand that best describe how few women are in tech? I keep hearing like 25%, but I know... So, for example, one of the um, uh, one of the universities that we work with a year ago, they're uh, entering EECS class, electrical engineering and computer science, was eight percent girls, which was thirty, and they usually lose half of their girls by the you know only half graduate, and so that's uh, like fifteen girls would be graduating from this 
a pretty big engineering school. And for an engineering organization or for an engineering culture, what are the negative consequences of a lack of women in tech? I think there's a couple ones that stand out. I mean, one is you know, whenever I talk to people, they talk about the difference that just a couple women on a team make in the dynamic. There's uh, a lot of consequences, I think, around collaboration. Um, they've shown that a team that has more women is more collaborative. And you know, when you, when you work together, you can get more things done better. They've shown that the number of women on a team correlates directly to how productive that team is. Not stopping at fifty percent women, um, but it's all around you know how collaborative that team is, how empathetic that team is, and how included each person is. And they've shown that women tend towards those characteristics more than men. So it's not necessarily that women are better than men; it's that the traits that women often bring more on average lead to a better team environment. So I think that uh, companies are missing out on that. Uh, they're also missing out on different personalities, different life experiences. They're missing out on some really creative ideas. You know, when we do our workshops for our high school girls, they are so amazing and creative. And it is really a shame if they don't go into technology and they don't bring that amazing creativity and the ability to pull all these really disparate facts together or disparate ideas together to create something new. And if you have, you know, this, I guess, is the main one that a lot of people talk about is if you have your workforce, not this, you know, the same demographics as your um, audience, then your audience isn't going to identify with your product as much. And your staff or your, your employees are going to create products that aren't solving your audience's needs as much. So I, I remember growing up with some whisperings of this idea that women are preternaturally less inclined towards mathematical or quantitative or scientific subjects. Do you think that there is still this perception in our world? Or, or I mean, do you believe that there's any element of truth to it? I, I don't think there's a an element of truth to it, but I think that we still have these perceptions. I don't know if you've ever checked out like the unconscious bias or the implicit bias test that Harvard has. I think it's called like the implicit bias project or something like that. So you can actually take a test that um, measures your, uh, your implicit bias or unconscious bias um, with different things. And one of them is uh, gender and, and science. And it definitely shows that a vast majority of our population is biased towards thinking that men are better at science and math than women are. Yeah, and one of, I, one of the reasons I find this so curious that people think that there's some way that we could know that there would be some preternatural tendency uh, for women to be less good at these quantitative subjects because the only way that our culture has has uh, has evolved is one that subjugates women. So we sort of, we haven't A-B tested it. There's no way to tell if if this narrative of women being worse at this caused the, the, the dearth of women in quantitative fields. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that we, I mean, so when I, when I talk about our high school program or our career level program, I talk about how important the sense of belonging is. If you look at our society and you look at how how important that sense of belonging is. You can look at gangs, you can look at bullying, you can look at 
good things like volunteering. I mean, people will give, I mean, Chick Tech has well over 400 volunteers right now throughout the country. And it's because they want to belong to something. And if you have this, um, you know, you have this bias, I mean, because it's not just men, I mean, women have the same bias. If you have the bias and the assumption that that's somewhere that you're not going to feel like you belong, you're going to avoid it. You may not know you're avoiding it, or you may, uh, but you're not going to go because, I mean, if people will kill to get that sense of belonging, literally kill to get it, how powerful is it when we can actually rope that in for or use it for good, right? Right. We've talked about the uh, negative environment that we kind of live in that's sort of hostile towards uh, women, but now let's talk some about how this is changing and, and the part that Chick Tech is playing what goes on at Chick Tech events? So, for example, like Chick Tech High School, right? It's our kind of signature program. It's what we started out with. So Chick Tech High School is a year-long series of events for 100 high school girls in each city. Uh, so we bring them in. We, uh, we use a nomination process to um, work with schools to get girls who will not nominate themselves or opt into our programs otherwise. Um, we look for a minimum of 30 uh, 33% girls who are um, eligible for free or reduced lunch. Uh, teachers nominate them um, because no matter how old you are, it always feels good to be nominated by someone above you, right, for something special, especially something hard, with quotation marks, like, uh, like programming or engineering, right? So we get, um, we get a ton of names from different schools. Here in Portland, we work with I think 20 to 25 different schools to get a bunch of girls nominated. Uh, and then girls register. Uh, they then go to our kickoff event uh, in Portland. It's November 7th and 8th. Um, and the others throughout the country are between then and the 21st and 22nd um, of November. They'll go to this big two-day event. They'll, they'll get to go through one of seven workshops. So they actually... Um, get to create a project. So it's not jumping from project to project. It's one project, five hours each day. Um, and then at the end, they get to actually show off their project. We create, it's kind of like a science fair, but no competition because competition in this case is just silly. We invite the community and everybody has their little booth and people come around and they check out the projects and they're always really impressed. So the girls kind of have a win, right? And we show a really strong increase in their sense of belonging to a technology community, uh, their interest in a technology career, and uh, their confidence in their uh, technology skills. Uh, after the kickoff event, we do monthly workshops for the year, and uh, then we also do a one-on-one -on -one mentoring program with men and women in the technology industry, and we're also always looking for companies to host an intern in the summer. So you mentioned that you don't have a competition. Why is competition counterproductive in this instance? Yeah, so I feel very strongly about this. Part of it's the demographic, right? We're not looking for the best, like we're not trying to like weed out the crappy people and only celebrate the best, right? We're celebrating the fact that women can create technology and we find girls who feel like they're not good enough, right? When they are. And how silly would it be to then be like, oh yeah, you were good enough, but actually you're not actually good enough. You know, this person is better than you. Uh, there's just no, no reason for it. Um, and it's, it would be, 
counterproductive and harmful to our cause. And I see other other programs that do that. And I've actually I've actually called them sometimes and like strongly urged them to come up with a different way to celebrate learning um, and accomplishment than pitting them against each other. Especially when we're trying to com- create a community, right? A community is based on collaboration and connecting with each other, not refusing to help somebody because then their project might be better than yours. Well, our society is perversely inclined towards competition, basically for no reason. Right. So, like, and, and this goes from science fairs to corporate narratives or whatever you whatever you want to see it in. But, like, in reality, um, there is, there's simply much less uh, competition in our world. It's more, um, you know, I think we live in more of a, more, an increasing world of collaboration. Um, you know, for example, it's like, you know, you, you even think about our giant corporations, you know, Apple quote unquote competing with Google. It's not really competing with Google as much as like doing things that are, that tend to be mutually exclusive. And so, yeah, anyway, that, I mean, that's a kind of a side note, but I, I think yeah. that the, the comp, the competition versus collaboration narrative, um, is, is kind of weird. So what kinds of success stories are you seeing? How are these young girls changing in personality as they go through Chick Tech High School? Yeah, so we've seen uh, girls who are opting into AP Computer Science um, and other, like the robotics program. Uh, we actually had one teacher. Uh, so we had been doing our program in early spring or late winter in Portland. And then we decided to synchronize all six chapters so that they're kicking off in November. And I actually had a teacher get mad at me. And he's like, but where am I going to get the girls for this year in my robotics program if you're not starting until November? Because this was the only way that he was getting girls to opt in. There's one school out in Hillsboro that we work really closely with. They've been really a really great partner with us, Glencoe High School. And the principal told me that they had this technology hallway and girls just never went down it. And he realized that after these girls were started to go through Chick Tech, that like all of a sudden girls felt comfortable going down that hallway. He said that almost all of the girls brought their projects to school with them because they were so proud of what they had created. Uh, we had a girl come back, or we have, we've had a couple girls from that school come back and volunteer with us to help inspire uh, uh, other girls to do technology so they got to pass on their stuff. It's actually... Uh, as ironic as this is, it's almost a competition at that school to get into check, into Chick Tech now. Um, and uh, yeah, we've had uh, we've had girls who've said, you know, Chick Tech showed me that I can stand up to the sexism in my high school engineering class. Uh, we've had girls who uh, go on to um, OSU in computer science um, or engineering um, or PSU. Yeah, so we've had we've had a lot of really great anecdotal success stories, and we're actually working on going through all of our survey data to hopefully get some more concrete numbers. But we've shown at our last PSU or our Portland event at PSU, uh, we went from fourteen percent of our girls saying they were very interested in a technology career to forty six percent just after the kickoff weekend. We showed a hundred and eighteen percent increase in their confidence. Um, yeah, I mean we are definitely changing their perception of whether they can do technology. And even if they choose to not go into technology, because so many of those, the girls are so great, you know, they have many other options, right? So they're not all going to choose technology and that's okay. 
because even if they end up going in and like doing a business degree, you know, and but they are more comfortable playing around with technology because they had this success where they were able to do something with technology and it wasn't scary and nothing burst into flames, right? Maybe they'll start being able to tinker a little bit and be known as like the techie person in the office and that will make them more valuable and and they'll be more confident in, in themselves and try more new things, you know? So we we really feel like there's a cumulative effect of our programs, um, but we're not... I mean, one of the things, you know, when we, I look at Chick Tech versus other programs, many other programs are finding the same girls who are opting into other programs. And we definitely have those, and we love them. They're awesome. Um, but most programs can't find the girls who aren't doing this yet. And sometimes when I talk to funders, they're like, yeah, but why aren't all of your girls coming back and staying the whole year? I'm like, well, they don't know they don't have any idea what it's like to create technology. Maybe they don't like it, you know, and that's okay. You know, the fact that they tried it and they were able to choose for themselves rather than somebody else looking at a stereotype, telling them that they don't fit in it and then denying them access by not giving them the opportunities. The girls choosing themselves is way better, even if they choose no. When these girls enter into Chick Tech, do they often know what a tech career looks like because like i remember in high school you know i I knew what a doctor or a lawyer looked like i did not know Mm -hmm. what a software engineer did yeah yeah they almost none of them do like even the girls who are kind of already engaged in technology because we have about 70 percent of our girls who aren't yet engaged and we have 30 percent who've maybe done a programming class before or whatever because we ask them that on the pre-survey what you know, what do you think a computer engineer or computer programmer does? And they say things like, oh, they build computers or they they fix computers when they're broken. That That's so strange. And why does that occur in, in our society where, where people seem to have no idea with, like about these occupations? Uh, I think it just stems from what, you know, if their parents aren't in technology, pretty much the only place that they're going to get that knowledge, unless they, you know, actually go on Google and research it, um, is through school, right? They spend a lot of time in school. They spend a lot of time doing homework for school because my son is now in high school and I'm hearing a lot of complaining. I mean, that's, that's where they're going to learn. And if that's not taught there, then they choose things like, nursing or dental assistant you know we had one girl who you know she uh sometimes i play chauffeur when i'm not being executive director and so i was driving a couple girls to the max stop so they could get home because we provide transportation so our girls can get get to our classes and you know she said like she was like really quiet and really sweet and she was like you know i just i really wanted to thank you for running chick tech because before i started chick tech I thought my only choice was to be a dental assistant. Now that I did Chick Tech, I feel, you know, I realized that I need to be a programmer. And she actually, um, I believe she started last year at PCC um, in programming classes. But yeah, it's just a, it was just a, a, she was part of a family that didn't have necessarily a lot of resources. Um, and she, she was just trying to pick the best career she thought she could do. But in reality, she was really awesome and smart and should be doing something really fun and cool like programming because that's what makes her happy. Well, hopefully pop culture is changing the awareness of what it means to be a programmer and uh, you know the, the existence of programmers. Um, 
How fast is Chick Tech growing? We've been around for three and a half years, and we started running programs two and a half years ago. We started with Portland, and then the same year we moved to Corvallis, and then the next year, 2014, we moved to the Bay Area, and then we doubled again this year to six chapters. Each chapter takes about 100 to 150 volunteers to run a year. Um, which is how we get so many volunteers. Um, so we have six chapters right now. We also have, so those are in um, the Bay Area, Corvallis, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, New York. Um, we also have people working to start chapters in Boston and Austin uh, because we like rhyming. Um, and we're also looking for um, other cities to actually expand to in 2016. We actually only have, uh, I'm a partially paid employee. Um, but other than that, it's all volunteer so far. Do the goals of Chick Tech change as you've expanded? Uh, the goals have stayed the same because they've always been get and keep girls and women in high tech. Um, how we do those have continued to expand. So for example, we're looking at, uh, we want to start doing culture consulting. Uh, so particularly around unconscious bias and particularly, especially, um, uh, around in increasing diversity in your workforce by creating a great environment that everyone loves. Right. Um, and so how, how hungry are companies to, to invite that type of consultancy in and say, Hey, we realize we need cultural change. Uh, that's a good question. So this is a new initiative for us. Like we just started thinking about what it will look like. And we've especially been looking at how can we help influence tech startups who don't have a firm culture in place yet, um, but who will be much more successful if they have a good one. Um, but I don't know yet. I mean, I've seen there's been a lot of demand for unconscious bias training and helping recruiters to be uh, less biased and be more welcoming to uh, diverse candidates so it'll be interesting. I'm interested to talk to some of our good partners and see what they need and how we can help them fill that uh, gap. In particular, what we're looking at doing is we're looking at finding um, consultants and training them in the different cities that we're in and then helping them you know, help the companies that are there. Has Chick Tech become more complex to manage as it's scaled for you? I believe about three quarters, about half my time is now actually like doing business stuff, which is kind of sad. Uh, I'd like someone else to do that now so that I can just meet with people and grow the program <laughs> instead of like filling out tax forms and QuickBooks and other terrible, terrible <laughs> things, making sure they're legal in every state. I'd like someone else to do that now. Um, so yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely been more complex. We're trying to build, so we're trying to build more of a um, non-hierarchical model with it. So we have, you know, we have leaders, we have leadership teams in each in each chapter, um, but we're trying to build a sustainable volunteer run, almost completely volunteer run organization. And so we look at our leaders more as enabling the people below them to. 
uh, have the resources that they need and the knowledge that they need. And so we're really, you know, we have a monthly chapter lead call where all the chapter leads get on and they usually spend it like talking about their frustrations and getting advice from other chapter leads. And we're, I really want to foster that environment where it's not that we need a bunch of paid staff to manage chapters. Staff is there to facilitate relationships and the chapters support each other and grow organically together. And I think that that will be much much more powerful and create, because we tell people, you know, we're creating a Chick Tech movement, right? And the movement needs to come from like a groundswell of people, right? It can't just be one person up here telling everyone else what to do. Also, that's exhausting. And I don't know why anybody would want to do that. So you must think a lot about educating people about technology. And one of the themes that I've been discussing with people this week is this phenomenon of coding boot camps. Do you think that these coding boot camps are superior to college and how college teaches technology? I think that they are very different. Um, I don't know that you can necessarily compare them, at least in my mind. So there's a couple things that I like about college. One is not the debt that I am now paying off. I like that you learn a broad range of things. And you're not just learning one thing that will be useful for a particular type of company. Um, You're learning the structure of all the different things that you could know and understanding how they fit together. And uh, I like that about colleges. I think that they could be probably better taught and they could be more project-based and maybe sometimes a little less theoretical um, because people aren't coming out with the confidence that they need to really do well in jobs. Uh, But the thing that I worry about with uh, code schools and boot camps is that they are usually pretty specific. Um, However, I've never been to, I've never been to a, obviously a coding class at a, at a code school. So they could be, they could be amazing. What do you think of the term programmer? Uh, it's mildly hilarious every time I say it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the reason I ask is uh, just because, like, I init- this is one of these things where it's like perception must really matter. Because it's one of these things where I initially saw it and I was like, huh, it's funny, like, laughable term. Um, but there has been, like, an outcry from, from some women about this. So it makes me think, like, this is some perceptual thing that I don't really understand. Yeah. Or I'm... Well, so what, um, so what have you heard? Like, what is your perception of it? I've heard that there are certain cultures that take the word programmer and then adopt it into their culture with such strength that the programming environment turns into a fraternity. Yeah, well, I think it's just like another, it's another stereotype that, um, you know, fits some people, but uh, alienates diverse people. You know what I mean? And so in that, it's bad. I I almost wonder, because when I hear programmer, I think of people who are, um, you know, definitely like frat style people, but also like people who are more outgoing and have more people skills. So I'm wondering if there's just been a move towards people with more people skills, and that's kind of how that got started. And there are definitely people who fit like the frat boy type idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily know that I have a huge negative or positive feeling towards it though. What about the term woe grammar? I don't think I've heard that one. You haven't heard that. Okay. Like W O or wa grammar? I, never mind, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> no, what is it? 
Well, actually, Shaylin told me about it. Um, so I guess Woe Grammar uh, is like, uh, I think it epitomizes the idea that when you bring up the idea of women in tech, if you're discussing it with a woman who is in tech, it's kind of the wrong way to approach the subject to even come at it from that angle. Because the angle that you should be coming at, at it from is, let's talk about technology. What is your technological success? What are the things that make you excited about technology? Because if you, if you go straight at the issue of women in tech, it gives women the impression that the only thing that you want to talk to them about is is women in tech, like the controversy and whatnot. So, so Woe Grammar is sort of a, a, a commentary on maybe like the media's perception of things like, like, yeah. Oh, the only time you're going to contact, uh, if you're, if you're a journalist, the only time you're going to contact a woman for a quote in, uh, a media article about tech journalism is if you're talking about women in tech. So that, that's, that's what woe grammar is a commentary on. Yeah, that makes sense. I have heard people, I mean, it doesn't apply to me because that is what they should be contacting me about. Uh, but I have, I have heard uh, other women be pretty frustrated about that. How, how does the experience of women in tech compare to that of women in finance or law? I think that they're pretty similar. I mean, I've talked to, um, I've talked to uh, women lawyers who've had similar experiences. Um, uh, not necessarily. I haven't talked to a lot of women in finance before, so I don't really know what their experiences are like, but I would assume it's pretty similar. And one of the things, you know, people say, you know, ask us like, oh, how much are you going to change the technology industry in five years? And I'm like, the problem is, is we're fighting against an age-old problem, right? It's not just we need to, like, tell some more girls to go into tech and then they'll do that and then the problem will be fixed, right? We're fighting against a very strong tech culture, but we're also fighting against, since the dawn of time, women have been considered less than equal to men, right? It's, it's women have been... Uh, slaves, women have been property, women have been there solely for sex and procreation um, and only in very, very small communities and kind of random places have women been treated equal to men. And until we get rid of that issue as a society we can't fully change one industry or another. I mean it's not just it's not just tech, right? This is a society wide issue of women's equality. One interesting problem that you've pointed out is that companies often hire in a way that is disadvantageous to women when they look for, quote, culture fit. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with the idea of looking for culture fit, and how should companies change their hiring practices around that? That's a good question. Um, so one of the things, this is sort of a side thing, but you reminded me of it. One of the things that I've read is that men are hired for their potential and women are hired for their current skills. So that's not necessarily around culture fit, but it's definitely something that companies need to keep in mind is that women have potential too, right? And if you don't give them the opportunity to give get the skills that you're letting men get, then they'll never reach the top of your company and they'll never be able to reach their potential. Um, in term, terms of culture fit, I mean, definitely it's it's a big danger because... You know, it is easier to work with people who are like you, you know, and even in Chick Tech, we're starting to work on how can we be more diverse? 
because we want to be as inclusive as we want tech companies to be, right? And um, it definitely is going to take a conscious effort on our part, I mean, especially here in Portland when where it is a little bit harder to, um, to be diverse because we're all so very white, especially in the middle of winter. I know it's a struggle, and I, I know that for me when I, you know, when I meet with somebody, it's definitely easier to feel an affinity towards somebody at first glance when they talk like you, when they act like you. Um, and I think that it's, that's understandable to an extent, right? It's under, it's understandable how that happens, but it's not okay to just stop there and say, Oh good. I mesh well with this person. Oh yeah. Now we're all white men. Um, and that's okay because we all get along well because then you're missing out on all of these great ideas. Right. And so I've had some really interesting people who, you know, and I'm lucky because since I work with volunteers, when I meet somebody, I don't have to worry about, you know, if I hire this person, I have to keep around, keep them around for a year and they're, you know, I'm full, paying them a full-time salary and therefore I can't hire anybody else. So I'm lucky because I can try people out, you know, and if they're not working, we just mutually decide that, you know, maybe they want to volunteer somewhere else, right? Or I send them to a different department or chapter in Chick Tech and I'm like, oh, maybe you'll mesh really well with this person, Right. But the people, there have been people that I have not felt an affinity for or because they weren't like me, but I gave them a project or I put them on a team and they were, you know, after a month or so, they were some of my best performers, right? And that's what companies are missing out on when they hire only for culture fit. You know, and obviously with Chick Tech, we look for certain types of culture, Right. Like we look for, you know, you need to believe in women's equality. You need to um, you need to be collaborative um, and you need to um, believe that, you know, in general, all people should be treated equally. Um, But that doesn't that's not based on, you know, the color of your skin or your gender or your life, any of your lifestyle choices. Right. Are there any other events or partnerships perhaps on the corporate level like what what goes on with regard to chick tech beyond the high school level like if 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 there's somebody in a company listening and they want to get involved in chick tech or sponsor an event somehow uh do you have can you explain any like prototypical events that you've had yeah so um one of our big ones is act w um so act w is stands for advancing the careers of technical women it's a one or two day conference depending on the city you're in Um, It has a talent fair, it has workshops, technical and career-based speakers, all the things. Um, So in Portland here, it's in April. In Seattle, it'll be in September. Um, The Bay Area, Chicago, and New York have not yet um, scheduled when theirs will be. Um, But it's basically, it's like a local Grace Hopper. Um, So people can find uh, companies that are looking for them in their area so they don't have to move somewhere weird like Florida. Um, And uh, they also get to build their local support network so that when they meet somebody that they want to know, they can, you know, have coffee with them the next week. Whereas Grace Hopper is a really awesome conference, um, but you only get to see those people once a year, right? And so we really want to build up the support network for women where they're at. Um, So those are annual local conferences. Um... The one here in Portland had 300 people uh, um, buy tickets. The one in Seattle had 400. Um, That's been a really 
strong conference. We had 92% of the people who attended this uh, last April say they want to attend this next year. There's also Chick Tech Career, which is often focused around running a meetup. Uh, so here in Portland, Shaylin is running the career level meetup. She did a um, three evening 3D printing class. Uh, we were able to only charge $50 for it. Um, and we provided dinner all three evenings. They got to print things. They got to learn how to do 3D modeling from nothing uh, or from no, from no experience. We had an awesome sponsor for that, uh, Uncorked uh, Studios. Uncorked Studios. Uh, they gave us a, um, they hosted us and gave us some money for food, which allowed us to only charge $50. She's doing some other really uh, great events around like um, the legal side of doing a startup. Um, our New York chapter and our Seattle chapters are also doing uh, monthly or every other month uh, career events too. So if companies are in either of those cities, they should also get involved. We're always looking for hosts. We're looking for people to uh, run workshops. We still try to keep it. Um, we try to keep panels to a minimum because they're boring and uh, really try to make it interactive and discussion based so that people are actually able to contribute and um, not just sitting there staring at somebody blankly. Yeah, we try also to do some collaborative stuff. ActW is a collaborative conference where we work with other women in tech groups, uh, which has been really great. Cool. Um, well, Janice Levenhagen-Seeley, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily and talking about Chick Tech. It's been great having you on. Yeah, thank you.